This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock with the Retirement Detective Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we'll be talking about donor-advised funds, which are a vehicle that investors can use to contribute to charities while maintaining the timing and control of those donations in a little bit different way than directly directly donating to those charities. Now, why you would want to do this has a lot to do with taxes, and we'll talk about this, but donor-advised funds are a unique vehicle to be able to make charitable contributions in a little more, at times, tax-efficient way, and that will be the subject of today's episode. A donor-advised fund You can think of it sort of like a mutual fund. So a mutual fund is a bunch of people put their money in one pool and a manager invests it for them and they each own a slice of that pie. A donor advised fund is similar. It's basically a large fund created for the purpose of making charitable donations funded by a large group of people and managed by a manager. I think Legally, they're a 501c3 um, in structure, but they operate um, in a unique way. So the way it basically works is, let's say that um, we have a person named Bob, and Bob decides that he wants to donate to charity. Now, he could obviously make a donation directly to that charity, and he could write them a check, or he could do a qualified charitable distribution from his IRA if he was the appropriate age. There are a number of avenues for him to be able to make this donation, but another option for him would be to use a donor-advised fund. So what he would do in that case is he would open an account with the donor-advised fund and make the donation to the donor-advised fund instead of to the charity. The donor-advised fund is... Uh, assuming it's a legitimate one, there are some nefarious lookalikes out there, but there are about 50, over 50, legitimate donor-advised funds in the United States. He would make the donation directly to the donor-advised fund, and in exchange, that would be deemed a charitable donation, and he would, if he itemized his deductions, would get the tax deduction at that time. The charity hasn't actually received the money yet, So at some point in the future, Bob could say to the donor advised fund, I would like you to direct a donation to this charity of my choice. Now at this point, technically Bob no longer has control because he's made the donation and it's up to the charity, or excuse me, it's up to the donor advised fund to decide if that charity is appropriate for making a donation to. 
And I have found in practice that they generally almost always approve these requests as long as they're to an appropriate entity. There are some exceptions which we'll talk about. After approval, the donor advised fund then issues the check to the charity. Now, you're probably asking at this point, what is the point of this? Why, why would you do this? Because it's an extra step. Well, there's a couple of reasons. You can invest inside the donor advised fund. So let's say that you wanted to put $10,000 in a donor advised fund for future charitable donations, but maybe you don't have a specific charity yet, or you know the specific charity, but you don't want to give them that much all at once. You put it in there and maybe over the course of a year, it earns some interest. And after the end of one year, you look at your account balance and it's $10,500. And maybe at this time you are ready to make the donation, maybe a year later. And now you can give the charity $10,500, even though it only was $10,000 out of your pocket, the 500 in interest that it earned is part of the check that you're able to write to them. Another reason might be if you have a large event in your taxes in a particular year, perhaps you sell a company or you sell a large position in a stock or you get a massive bonus and you are in a position where you are really looking for additional itemized deductions to reduce that tax bill. As we know, the, the realistic deductions for most people on the itemized deductions, it's a short list. And some of those aren't really um, ways that you can boost your deductions in a particular, particular year. You can't just go out and find more property tax to deduct. So the charitable one is a great one because if you're already charitably minded, you could just boost your charitable donations for that particular year. You do a service to a charity and making the donation and you're able to slightly reduce your, your tax bill by making that additional donation, which is deductible if you itemize. There are limits on how much you can deduct, but that's beyond the scope of today's episode. So let's pretend that you sell a business in a particular year and you have this giant tax bill coming and you want to really reduce that through charitable contributions. And let's say that your charity of choice is a very uh, mid-size um, animal rescue, you know, has a staff of maybe 10 people. If you were to give them a massive sum of money all at once, that could create heartache for them in the sense that, you know, they have to figure out what to do with it. Are they supposed to spend it all at once? It could be stressful for the executive director of that organization. So this is a case where the donor advised fund could fit in really well. You make your large donation to the donor advised fund. You invest it if you choose to. And then instead of giving that large amount to the charity all at once, you could say, well, I'm going to divide this amount by five and give it to them over five years or over 10. Once you donate it to the donor advised fund, you're not required to turn around and donate it to a charity in a certain period of time. So you could spread that donation out over a period of years and in doing so, keep the cash flow for the charity at a more meaningful and predictable level 
you got the charitable deduction in the year that you needed it, which was the initial year when you had the large taxable transaction. And along the way, if you're fortunate, maybe that donor advice fund earns some interest or, or has some, some capital growth. This has become more of an issue uh, as of late with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. It made some meaningful changes in our tax law, but one of which was that it changed the size of the standard deduction and therefore the number of people that are probably likely to itemize. With the much larger standard, standard deduction that came through with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, fewer people out there are itemizing. So another benefit of the donor advised fund is that you could stack your donations and as a result, if you were normally using the standard deduction, you might be able to say, well, we're gonna donate this much over the next five years or 10 years. If we stack all of those donations in one year and it's one giant donation to the donor advised fund, then maybe you'd eclipse the standard deduction threshold, be able to take a deduction for some of those when you might not otherwise be able to. You still get your standard deduction in the future years, but you got that charitable deduction in the year that you stacked all of your donations. And then you can pay your charity out over time so that their cash flow is more regular. Now, I'm sure there's lots of charities out there and maybe some of the directors of those are listening that would say, well, I would love all the money right now. I don't need it spread out over time. And that's perfectly fine and probably true in a lot of cases. But not every donor wants to give that much all at once because sometimes they feel like, well, if I give this large amount this time, the charity might feel like they're going to expect that from me going forward. So it's a way to keep things more regular on, on the giving end too, not just on the receiving end. Now, a donor advice fund has some things for you to consider though, because while this all sounds like a good benefit, as we know in investing and in life, when there's a benefit, there's usually some sort of cost. So with a donor advised fund, there are a few things to consider in terms of costs and other downsides. Like I said, there are over 50 recognized donor advised funds in the United States, some of them at the local level, some national, um, they're generally accessible through the large brokerage houses like Schwab Fidelity, Vanguard, etc. You can access a donor advised fund through any of those entities if they offer it. And in doing so, there are, of course, some costs. So the donor advised fund is an entity. It has staff. It has people. It has you know groups that have to review these donation requests and etc., and so there is some overhead expense. Now, the different funds have different structures. I'm not gonna talk about one specifically, but I'm gonna just generally talk about what I see. And you should look at a particular donor advised fund if you're interested to see what their unique costs are. But I would say in general, there are two categories of costs to consider. First of all, there's the administrative costs. Some donor advised funds add this on to the investment costs and others charge it separately. But when you're looking at a donor advised fund, there will be a layer of administrative or management costs for you to consider. 
It might be a flat fee per year. It might be a percentage based on the assets that are in the donor advised fund, but there is an administrative layer of costs. Then if you invest the money, then you have the investment costs too. So they may have some model portfolios for you to choose from or other investment vehicle choices to choose from. And those have an underlying cost as well. So when you're doing your analysis, you want to add up the administrative costs plus the investment costs, and that will give you a sense of what it's going to cost to maintain this donor advised fund for a period of time. In addition, donor advised funds, not in it, how should I say this? In varying degrees, will have a minimum. Now, in some of the larger uh, firm offerings, that minimum will be lower. And in maybe some of the more boutique donor advised fund offerings, that minimum might be higher. But you may have a minimum dollar amount to open the donor advised fund and then a same or different minimum amount to keep it open. So for instance, if a donor advised fund has a minimum of $50,000 and you put in $100,000, you could only donate 50 of the 100 to your charity if you wanted to keep the donor advised fund active. You could donate the full 100, but then the donor advised fund account would close. There are also limits from our friends at the IRS that dictate a few things that you're not allowed to donate to. And these seem intuitive, but still worthwhile to mention. Donations to political parties and political candidates are prohibited. Donations to private non-operating foundations are prohibited. And you cannot distribute assets to yourself or to a trust vehicle that benefits you or your family. That was an issue when donor advised funds first came out and the IRS quickly tried to snuff that out. So if you're doing, quote, the right thing and you're using it to donate to charity, these shouldn't really be a concern, but they're worth mentioning. And, and those are the reasons why the donor advised fund has this approval process. So when you, after the, don after the donor advised fund is funded and it has a balance and you're ready to turn around and deploy some of that in donations to charities, you have to submit a form or fill out a form online that says, I'm ready to donate X amount of dollars to this charity and they'll review it, and if they deem it appropriate, they'll approve it. But if you put on there that you wanted to donate it to yourself as a, a tertiary presidential candidate, they're going to deny it. And that's part of the beauty of the donor advised fund is you at least know that the other people using it, everyone's all on board to try to do things the right way. I, in my experience with donor advised funds, have not often seen them deny a request, but it's something to be aware of that they have that power. And when you make that donation to the donor advised fund, because you're getting that charitable deduction right away, you are also giving up control of those dollars. So that is, that is a risk that if you have a particular charity that is, uh, is for whatever reason, one that they're not willing to donate to, that that is something to consider. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is on the investment side, that can also get fairly complex. 
what I've generally seen is that smaller donor advised funds, they'll offer some model portfolios from you to, for you to choose from. And then you, you know, pick the one that you're most comfortable with. If you pick a really aggressive one, obviously that has the most potential to grow your money, but it also has potential to lose money. And you could end up with a base in your donor advised fund that is less than what you originally donated, which doesn't obviously benefit the charities to have less. So that comes with risk. Now, some donor advised funds that are offered through financial firms like Vanguard and Fidelity, et cetera, above a certain level will give you the opportunity to manage it yourself. You can invest it um, using the, the vehicles that are available on their platform and you can invest those dollars or you could have, in some cases, a manager invest it for you. But in either case, um, that's a potential option. Not every donor advised fund offers that capability, but that's another layer of, depending on your perspective, either simplicity or complexity uh, to be aware of. But once it's set up and once it's invested, then the point of it is to sit there and hopefully grow pay out to charities over time, you add to it as you see fit, and it's an intermediary to help those donations just be a little more intentional and that they're being invested and hopefully growing. And the timing of the cash flows is nice for for both the investor and the charity because the investor can time when they want to take that charitable deduction, even if maybe they've committed to a charity over a period of time. And then charity gets a little more regular cash flow that covers donor advised funds i hope you found this episode to be helpful please check out our website at www.retirementdetective.com if you have not already you can catch up on all the prior episodes there we'll see you next week this recording strictly is for informational educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible For any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.